You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What is the potential of immunotherapy to reverse the course of recent onset type 1 diabetes? Joining us to discuss immunotherapy for type 1 diabetes is Director of the Center for Type 1 Diabetes Research at the La Jolla Institute for Allergy and Immunology in La Jolla, California, Dr. Matthias von Herreth. Dr. von Herreth, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me this morning. This is an exciting topic because, as you know, I've had type 1 diabetes uh, since 1970, and I am waiting. Um, now, there's been a ton of research on the NOD mouse model, and most of the listeners today, we, don't, we have not done research on the NOD mouse. And I know that we've cured more type 1 diabetes in these than any other animal species, but why doesn't this work in humans? That's a very good question, and uh, you hit right on the head. And there's a lot of controversy about this type of dilemma in the field since, since several years now. And it's indeed true that there are now over 390 ways to cure the NOD mouse from type 1 diabetes and it has been very difficult to achieve this in humans. I think the one and foremost reason is that it's very difficult for us for ethical and medical reasons to access the human pancreas and actually find out what is happening during destruction of beta cells immunologically. And the reasons for that is, is that the pancreas is situated in the place in the body where you can't easily access this, and you can also not easily take biopsies. In other words, our, our knowledge is rather limited of what really human type 1 diabetes constitutes, except for we know for sure it's an immune-mediated disease. And therefore, all the models we built in animals and in the lab are going to be short-reaching in one or the other way, and therefore, one has to take, of course, what we find in these models with a grain of salt. But uh, we will probably talk about this later. There are some very promising things that I believe will actually translate to human therapy. Well, let's talk about um, the immunotherapies. We're going to talk today about two really core ones. Maybe you can take some time to explain each one, uh, and then we can talk about the potential to prevent uh, recent onset type 1 diabetes. I think we will talk today about um, uh, two, two components that I actually believe should be joined into one combination therapy. One component is um, a systemic administration of what you would call an immune modulator. It's a biologic antibody against a determinant expressed on uh, T cells that we know are found in human islets, not only in the mouse, obviously. It's an anti-CD3 antibody. <clears throat> and actually, in this case, initial studies were done in type 1 diabetes in mouse models, but in a very stringent setting after recent onset of the disease, where not 390, but maybe only a handful of therapies can revert the disease in mice. And the insights from that have prompted um, investigators in Europe, among them Bach and Chateauneau and Kay Moylan, and investigators in the U.S., among them Bluestone and Herald, to try to see whether this antibody can have a positive effect and recently diagnosed type 1 diabetes. 
and currently encouragingly enough, that's indeed the case in terms of preserving um, seed peptides. Um, the upsides are that this antibody um, seems to have a durative effect long beyond just the time when it has an effect on the T-cell response that we can measure. So after anti-CD3, T-cells are lower, and there's also an activation of EBV on the negative side in most of these individuals that is transient. But the positive effect on preserving C-peptides after recent onset diabetes and in lowering insulin needs is up to three years, which is very good. It's a very good efficacy profile of this antibody. The other component that uh, I think we want to discuss in detail today is um, antigen-specific therapies or uh, vaccinations with proteins derived from beta cells. And uh, people in animal models for a long time have known that such vaccines can induce what they call regulatory cells. These, these are lymphocytes in your own body that are there for peacekeeping. So they recognize your own protein determinants, and when they react with them, they make mediators that keep peace. In type 1 diabetes, somehow this safeguard mechanism fails. But if we immunize with these islet cell-derived proteins, we can reactivate this mechanism. And what we have found uh, are two, two-fold encouraging data. One is that you can do a simple DNA vaccine that reactivates these peacekeepers. And the second is that if you combine this with this antibody, the biological anti-CD3, you get a lot of synergy. And both of these, um, I believe, are encouraging findings that eventually could lead us down much further to a path for a cure. And they're also applicable to islet transplantation. So also there, this could be very useful. Now, what are the main issues requiring clinical attention for antigen-specific base therapies? The main issue, really the key issue right now is that unlike the vaccines that we give for virus infections, with these vaccines, with these antigen-specific therapies, we don't have a biomarker that will tell us this was a successful immunization in a given individual. And people feverishly really work on that. We even have a workshop at next year's focus meeting on precisely this issue because that would accelerate the development of these therapies enormously. So at the end of the day, you can envision with a vaccine like this that you could just vaccinate many individuals at risk for type 1 diabetes. But what is really missing is the checkpoint where you say you have done a successful vaccination in a given individual. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Matthias von Herreth. We are discussing immunotherapy for type 1 diabetes. So who do you consider uh, at risk for type 1 if you had this vaccine available right now? So the vaccine is actually available right now to Bayer and Genentech. And as with many of these interventions, they're being tested in recent onset disease. There was a successful phase two trial that has brought initial success in preserving C-peptides. The good news is absolutely zero side effects. So the strategy now is that this will be repeated in recent onset disease. And if the data hold, then this will be tried in individuals initially 
I would think, positive for three island antibodies, high-risk group. And then down the road, if that looks promising to individuals that are at lower risk for type 1 diabetes, and some of them, because the safety profile looks so good, might not even ever get the disease, but you can justify this vaccination because the safety profile looks so good. Well, we talked a little bit in the beginning about the non-mitogenic anti-CD3 antibody. Um, Tell us a little bit more about how this is proving to be a powerful tool for blocking recent onset type 1 diabetes. So the way these trials have been undertaken is that um, individuals who had just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and also were still positive for C-peptide, signifying insulin, remaining insulin production, were included in, in these trials. And there was some controversy as to what the best time frame is. Um, but in these trials, um, enrollment was extended up to six months maximum post-diagnosis. I personally would think it's, 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 it's also possible to include individuals that still have C-peptide positivity even further down the road. Which could remain positive for years and years. That's right. Um, the, key, the key issue, and that actually has been guided also by animal models, is that these immune interventions only seem to have beneficial effect if there is still some type of remaining insulin production from endogenous beta cells. After that, it's very difficult to intervene with any type of immune-based intervention unless you would put in new islets or in the form of stem cells, new islet progenitors. Tell us the pros and the cons about the anti-CD3 approach. This biological antibody has an effect, a positive effect on preserving beta cell mass beyond the time that it has negative effects on your overall immune reactivity. So that's a good equation. You have negative effects on overall immune reactivity for two months, but the positive effect of regulating destruction of beta cells extends um, up to three years in some of the current trials. So that's the plus, and I already mentioned the minus, like with all these systemic biologics, is that uh, you have some initial immunosuppression. After a one-time course, we know at least in the patient cohorts that were treated in Europe and the U.S., there was no severe side effects, and the reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus was transient. But one has to await whether it's possible to give biologics like this more than once. And personally, I would favor, as I mentioned before, not to give them more than once, but to combine them with a more specific vaccine strategy like these beta cell antigen-specific vaccines. So has there been any research using the combined approach, as, as you mentioned? Yeah, so we, we, we were the first ones to find the, the DNA vaccine monotherapeutic approach. And then based on that, we developed the combined approach and published on that in 2006 and ever since then have been struggling to convince pharmaceutical companies to enter into trials with combination therapies before any of the single agents have been approved for clinical use. That's, in my opinion, very, very important issue in type 1 diabetes, where you have to be very cognizant of side effects, and therefore um, it might be that it takes much longer to get a single drug approved for clinical use especially if that single drug only has a limited effect. And my personal bias is we should put 
two these two approaches together and and prove them as a combination therapy all together. Yeah, you're ahead of your time because uh, what, with your knowledge and vision in this area, uh, you, you can really see the pros and cons of each one and the benefits of getting them both together earlier. And I like the fact that you, you're jumping ahead a little bit in terms of uh, advancement in this area. I'd like to thank our guest, Director of the Center for Type 1 Diabetes Research at the La Jolla Institute for Allergy and Immunology in La Jolla, California, Dr. Matthias von Herreth. Dr. Van Herreth, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients, that's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess in a way it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.